Welcome to Senior Moments on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Back on the air. <laughs> Poach mics up, Judy. We're back on the air again, and I have Michael on the line. Okay, so um, today is our special day with Maestro and friends, and Maestro Mike Hall, who is the conductor of the Prince George Symphony, is going to have the show today, and I'm going to listen and ask questions. Hey, Michael. <laughs> Hello, Sharon. How are you today? I'm really good. And um, Arianne's here, and oh, she's got her headphones on, and she's got a mic in front of her, and we're all clean. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Well, we're going to have a lovely uh, afternoon, and I want to thank you, Sharon, for again allowing me to take over your show for an hour. Oh, it's my um, pleasure. And, you know, we, just for those listeners who are wondering what's going on, we <laughs> have decided to, have once a month, to have me on to talk about all things music. And where we're starting is with the instruments of the orchestra. Yes. And last month we talked about the violin, and we had Alison Bell, who is our acting principal second violin, in studio, and we... Played. Uh, she played a few uh, examples for us, and the and the three of us just talked about the violin, and and we talked about different aspects of it and everything else. So today, now I don't want to give away what our <laughs> instrument is today, although we're going to know very shortly, um, because I want to ask a question to you, Sharon, and uh, and maybe Ariane, and certainly those who are listening. And my question is. What do you think the oldest musical instrument in the world is? Like, what's the very first musical instrument ever made? So Arianne's already put, gave me her opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, definitely uh, it would be the drum uh, in terms of a, a legitimate instrument. And then after that, I would have to say it is the flute. There are some flutes that have been found that were, I think, about 45, between 45,000 and 65,000 years old have been found. Yeah, that isn't was... That a is, li- isn't that something? That, that, that's yeah. very ding, ding, ding. That's correct. <laughs> um, it's... It, it, you know that you're right. The drum certainly, uh, I think, early man would have first thought about sort of hitting a, a, a you know a, a stone against another stone or or some sort of percussive instrument. That's probably true. But when we talk about you know instruments that we know of, uh, the flute and and, and Ariane's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been some discoveries uh, of of a flute that actually was. Is, is what they think 60,000 years ago, which is really phenomenal. It's amazing to, to think uh, that that's the case. And, you know, these, these early flutes, they look very much like, I guess you could say a recorder, and we'll get yeah. into the difference between the flute and recorder later, but, you know, they have uh, uh, holes, uh, tone holes in them. Yes. And, and what they've sort of... The, 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 arche- the, the archaeologists have figured that the, the size and the position of the holes do not seem to be accidental. They feel that these holes are, are, are made with the intention of playing an instrument, of musical expression. Mm-hmm. And, and the idea of making music using a, a hollow pipe uh, is a very ancient one, uh, and the modern flute has its roots in the, in the simple instruments of primitive societies, thousands 
of years ago. Well, Judy, uh, Judy and I were talking uh, before we went on air about it, and she said that they, she, what was it, Judy? Took a willow and uh, made a whistle out of it. Yeah. And I thought, that had to be the beginning of something. Yeah, and that was when she was a kid, and I grew up on, on uh, Scarborough Bluffs, well, on the Bluffs, and they had bamboo, and we would take bamboo, and first it was a... Um, something to hurt people with, a pea shooter. <laughs> and then, for some reason or other, we decided to put holes in the tops, and and uh, and we had like three or four holes in it, and we could make some sound out of it. But yeah. you know, it's it's interesting because you, when you said you were going to talk about a flute. And mm-hmm. I said to Ariane, oh, like a flute, like what's a flute? And then, what, <laughs> 45,000 years, 60,000 years ago? Yep. Good Lord. And the yeah. one that I read about was a, a young bear shin bone, I think it was. Mm-hmm. That, yes. Yeah. Yes. yes, exactly. And, you know, they, they, in those days, they were, uh, flutes were often made of bone yep. or uh, clay even, uh-huh. uh, wood certainly back, way back when, but uh, you know, it really is incredible to think about the history, the long, long history of the flute. Yeah. And, and we're going to talk today about all the changes that have happened to the instrument between then and now. Uh, very fascinating history, like the violin was when we talked about the violin. These instruments have an incredibly interesting history to them. But maybe before I even get into that, let's talk a little bit about what the flute is and how it works. Now, yeah. A, a flute at its most basic is a tube. Yeah. Open at one end, although not always, but the modern flute is open at, at one end, and there's holes arranged on its side. Mm-hmm. And by covering or uncovering the holes, you can change the pitch. So the pitch really depends on the length of the vibrating body. So let's say you keep all the holes closed. Let's say you cover all the holes of a flute. Mm-hmm. You have, in essence, lengthened the air column as long as it can go, and that's how you get the lowest note. So when you open the holes of a flute, that shortens the length of the air column, mm-hmm. which results in the pitch getting higher. Mm-hmm. That's sort of, in a, in a nutshell, the very earliest flute, this is how it would work as far as the pitch, uh, adjusting the pitch is concerned. And um, the flute... And now talking a little bit about the modern-day flute, uh, the flute's really made up of three sections. We have the head joint, and that's at the top. We have the body, or the middle joint, as it's sometimes called, and then we have the foot, or the foot joint. Mm-hmm. So it's really in three, in three segments. And on the head joint, you have what we call a lip plate, and, and in the lip plate, you have the little hole, called the embouchure hole, and that's the hole where you blow into the instrument. Mm-hmm. Now, you now here's the first thing, though, that, that you have to know about the flute. You don't necessarily blow into it, but you blow across yeah. uh, the hole. And, and I always think it's very much like, uh, uh, you know, we all, when we were young, we'd have Coke bottles mm-hmm. yeah. filled with yeah. a certain amount of, of liquid, and you blow over the top of a Coke bottle, and mm-hmm. you get a certain pitch. Mm-hmm. And that's very much the same idea. You're, you're blowing air across an edge, and the air gets split mm-hmm. by that edge, and that causes vibrations in the air, and then you have this vibrating column of air that goes through the instrument. And that's, in essence, how a flute produces the sound. 
And now I'm going to talk a little bit more about tuning, and I, I love Ariane to maybe give us a little example if her flute is, is ready to go, because mm-hmm. when you tune a flute, I, ideally what you're doing is you, 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 there's two ways of doing it, but what I, and, and Ariane can maybe elaborate a bit on this, but to tune the flute, you push in or pull out the head joint. So pushing it in will make the instrument sharper, the pitch will go higher, because you 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 may have less um, uh, less tubing, but if you pull out the head joint, you make the the flute a little flatter because you have more tubing. Um, so Ariane, I don't know if you want to you know as we sort of get into the discussion of the flute, maybe a good place to start is is with you know uh, tuning, and, and and maybe you can even demonstrate what that sort of sounds like and if you have anything else to add as far as what you do when you're you know getting ready for a a recital or getting ready for a a rehearsal or a concert with the pgso you know uh, what is your sort of tuning regimen well, that's always a, a very uh, complicated uh, issue because it, it definitely does have to do with where you join two of the parts of the flute, the head joint and the body. Mm-hmm. Um, there is an adjustment to be made there that can be made, but generally you kind of know according to what the pitch is of that country. So, for example, we tune to A440, and my flute is designed A442, so I know how much to pull it out to achieve that. But there's there's more to it. There's, it's a little bit more complex because there's also um, rolling in and out. So when you are aiming your air column into the flute, there is it's so minute, the adjustment you have to make. So if you're, for example, if you're playing and you sense that you're sharp in comparison to your playing partner, then you're going to try and air aim your air column a tiny, tiny bit, like a fraction of a millimeter downwards. And the opposite holds true as well. So if you're playing flat, then you're going to want to change that airstream column a little bit upwards. Um, there's also another way that we tune the flute, and that is by the, there is um, the top of the flute, there's something called a crown. So, you know, the flute is much like a person. We have a head, a body, and a foot. Uh-huh. And at the very top, we have this crown here. And inside the crown, there is a cork. Uh-huh. And this cork needs to be centered just right for the air to be divided just right within your instrument. Sometimes this cork um, has some movement to it. So it's another place where we focus on making sure that it is lined up correctly where it should be. And, and this cork actually needs to be replaced uh, quite frequently because it's a cork and it um, it gets brittle and um, gets damaged. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so if you would like, I can demonstrate, um, I'll take my headphones off, that's yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but I can demonstrate, this is my flute, and um, I'll demonstrate uh, the tuning note that we usually tune to. So that when you go to an orchestra concert, you see the orchestra always play a note. Yes. The first instrument that plays is the oboist, yeah. and the oboist has a stable A, yeah. and then we take that A from the oboe, and everybody adjusts accordingly. So this oh, is you. Okay. Yes, and and you'll see us. We all each get a few little tries at it until yeah. we feel we're we're tuned accordingly. So here's. I wondered my, what was going on. 
<laughs> we're not just being silly, but I actually I forgot the other aspect of tuning, which is um, this is an one that is um, more important for certain instruments. The the temperature of the room is key to the tuning. So if you're playing in a warm environment, your instrument, my instrument, will mm-hmm. play. Uh, sharper. Uh-huh. Some instruments um, will actually play flatter in a warm environment. So that's another consideration wow. that we have to always be adjusting to. So we, we kind of have some rules that it should be ideal playing um, conditions should be about 21 to 22 degrees, but we don't always get that. Yeah. So we have to quickly adjust to that. So for example, if I put my instrument down and I have 15 measures to count, what's going to happen to my instrument? It's going to get cold. cold. Yeah. So I'm losing some temperature there. So I need to keep that in in um, consideration when I put my instrument back to my face yeah. and play, I know I'm going to have to adjust for that. Um, and the same holds true for all of the instruments. Um, and like violins, I believe they, their string mm-hmm. can soften yeah. and um, they, it can also loosen yeah. as they're playing um, depending on the amount of pressure they put on their strength. So it's all a, it's a very, very complex issue. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So here we go. I think uh, we need to bring in a blanket, like a heated blanket. <laughs> <laughs> we won't worry about that. So this is the tuning A that you normally hear. And often we play a couple of octaves to make sure that they're in tune with each other. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to play, I'm going to try and play it a little bit on the out-of-tune side. So that's too sharp. It's too sharp. It's an unpleasant tone. It's not in tune with itself, with the harmonics. So it's all about centering. So that, that is my flute. Um, tuning kind of routine. Uh, would you like to hear the same notes played on the alto flute as a yes, comparison? I like the alto flute. I do like the alto. So this instrument is, um, as Michael explained, it is... Michael, uh, Ariane can't hear you. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry, Michael. There we go. I put it back on. There. There we go. <laughs> so you were saying, Michael... Oh yes, I uh, you, you know it, 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 another wonderful thing we're we're going to get into. And Ariana, if you feel uh, nice to play some notes on the alto flute, that's great. We'll talk a little more later about the different flute family. But let's listen to the alto flute if that's out and, yep. and ready to. You'll you'll hear immediately the, the difference in in uh, tone color. Yes, right. Absolutely. Okay. That's when I said we need a, a little blanket. <laughs> Here she goes. You know, it makes me think of Mickey Mouse when he was doing that that uh, uh, movie where he was the orchestra leader and and that f- flute was playing. Yeah, I've forgotten about that. It brought me right back. 
Well, this this instrument is also the, the alto flute is also referred to as the flute d'amore, which means love. Oh yes, um, and it it kind of represents the tone color, which is a, a lot more of a warm sound and a lot more um, kind of a romantic sound. It's not used often in the orchestra uh-huh. in an orchestra setting, um, but I have certainly uh, played it. Uh, fairly consistently in pit bands. Oh, yes. Um, and it's because in a pit band, you have limited space. You have to be creative with your colors. You can't have a full orchestra. So yeah. it's used for a different color. Yeah. And I think a lot of jazz musicians use yes. that yes. Yeah, more than the other one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, a, it's a whole different color. And the other thing about the also food is that it's very quiet. Yes. And so when it's in an orchestral setting, I think of, let's say, uh, holds the planets for one example of a alto flute in the orchestra playing. Um, it, it is quite it's even more quiet than the flute, and certainly when we get to the piccolo, that's another uh, yeah. another issue. Yeah. But uh, the alto flute has that lovely warm uh, tone, and you have to, as a conductor, if it's in a orchestral setting, you have to be very conscious of the balance. In other words. If you can hear the also flute above the other instrument, yeah. and you can see the composer like Gustav Holtz will write it in such a way that there's no other instruments competing with the also flute. But you have to be very careful that that lovely rich tone is is easily heard in the orchestral context. The other benefit I see of playing a flute is that you don't have to blow out your 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 cheeks like when you're playing that trumpet. <laughs> So you're not marring your looks at all. <laughs> well, you know, and, and let me circle back before we, I'd like to talk a little bit about the history of the flute, but before we do that, I want to circle back real quickly before we take our break, because something came up that Ariane was talking about in her in her talk about tuning, and it not it remarkable how an orchestral player or any, uh, you know, even if you're not playing an orchestra, but a musician playing your instrument, especially a woodwind instrument, how many factors go into uh-huh. uh, tuning an in- tuning your instrument? Yeah, like who knew that? It's just it's, a flute. It's, it's not, exactly, Karen. <laughs> and, and it's not just um, at the beginning of the uh, concert. Uh, as Ariane said, you have to be constantly listening and adjusting all the time. And that includes... As, as I mentioned, you know, moving the head joint in and out, but also, as Ariane said, controlling the air column. And there's many other uh, very uh, um, minute factors that you have to be in command of in order to continually check and make sure that the flute or any woodwind instrument is always in tune. It's a real challenge. It takes a lot of very careful listening and careful adjustment. Do you think that when the pa- pa- paleo... Ithic, what was it, Paleoithic times? Do you think they were thinking about how to tune a flute? You know, look. <laughs> I, I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, it's just amazing to think that, you know, 60,000 years ago, and yeah. this has developed from a little instrument with five notes, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yep. To this that you have here, these instruments you have that are beautiful. And then exactly. these lift keys like that I, or whatever you call them, but mm-hmm. uh, they're quite amazing. I mean, I've only seen them sort of on a saxophone or something like that. I didn't know that the flute had that many 
keys. So how how the interesting thing about the keys too is that some of them depress the keys and some of them actually open the keys. Uh huh. So like this one opens a key. Yeah. And these so and this one opens a key and the rest of them are depressing keys. Oh, I wish everybody could see it. We have to take a break (laughs) and then we'll come back and and Michael, I'll try to be quiet. I'm quite excited. Perfect, <laughs> We'll take a break and we'll be right back with Maestro and friends. Hi, this is The Wolfman. Few entertainment genres have captured our imagination and been as successful as the good old-fashioned musical. From their vaudevillian roots to today's blockbusters, musicals have provided generations with a stream of memorable productions, show-stopping performances, and larger-than-life personalities. Join me for a unique adventure as we trip the light fantastic across more than a century of musical theater, from Broadway to the West End and all points in between. On with the show, Sunday afternoons at 2, only on Boomer Radio 93. Point one FM. The Alzheimer's Society of BC is continuing their series of online webinars. Everyone is encouraged to learn more about dementia and its stark impact on Canadians through their website, alzbc.org. While there, you can also register for their free webinars or watch previous presentations. The next webinar is Research Ready, Cardiovascular Risk Factors and Dementia, tomorrow from 2 to 3. The Alzheimer's Society of BC, bringing you support and information about dementia at alzbc.org. Vancouver's longest-running short filmmaking program has six films in production to premiere at the 22nd annual Crazy Eight Gala next month. A variety of movie genres, from cultural drama to dark comedy, are being covered, with each film being produced over the course of eight crazy days. The completed films will be shown on May 1st during the first-ever online Crazy Eight Gala. Full details are available at crazyeight.film. The Crazy Eight 2021 Gala Screening, May 1st, online. Forecast from Environment Canada. Today, sunny, wind from the north at 20 kilometers and a high of 16. Tonight, clear, north winds becoming light this evening with a low of minus 1. And Wednesday, sunny, a mix of sun and cloud in the afternoon with wind from the west at 20 and a high of 13. Brought to you in part by Riverbend Seniors Community on 93.1 CFISFM. This is Senior Moments. Okay, Sharon, we're back on again. Maestro and friends and Maestro Michael Hall. Okay, we were talking about the uh, the, the keys. That's what. Yeah. yeah. Yes, and, and, it, and, it, and you, what you said, Sharon, was very interesting, that when you are not up close to a flute... I mean, you have some idea that there's something going on in the flute, and it's not just... Like, think of a recorder, for example, or Mm -hmm. think of an old flute even from the Middle Ages or the Renaissance or even the Baroque period, early Baroque period. You would imagine Mm -hmm. a tube with holes that you cover with your finger. Yes. And that's what a flute was for many, many years. And it was only, and we'll get to this part too, only in the 19th century has... Keys, and we call them, there's a key system, and and I know you can see, and I wish our listeners could see sort of what that looks like, but uh, in Ariane, we can describe it a little bit as we go, but there's a a key system, uh, they're on metal rods, and they they assist you uh, opening and closing different holes on the flute. Um, Now, um, before we get to that, I want to just double back if I could to mm-hmm. the Middle Ages. So mm-hmm. here we are in the Middle Ages and the Renaissance, and we would have a flute 
that would be made of wood or sometimes of ivory, and it would have usually six tone holes, as we call it, where your fingers would go. But by the time of the Baroque period, there were substantial changes happening to the flute. Mm -hmm. The Baroque flute was now made in three sections, just like we were talking about a second ago with the head joint and the body and and the foot joint. Mm -hmm. The flute in the Baroque now had this conical bore rather than a cylindrical bore. Now, you may say, well, what what does that matter? Mm -hmm. Well, a cylindrical bore means that it has the same diameter throughout. But a conical bore means that it tapers slightly to the end. And again, what does this mean? Well, it resulted in a better sounding instrument. It resulted in the finger holes being made a little closer together, making the instrument a little easier to play. Um, And it was very much, the Baroque flute was very much improved on the Renaissance flute and was much better suited to a role as a soloist. So when you go back to the Baroque period, this is the period of Bach and Vivaldi and Handel, um, you will see, you will will discover a great amount of flute solo repertoire. Mm -hmm. In fact, there's, there's more solo repertoire for the flutes really in the Baroque time than there certainly was in the classical era. And, and maybe not today so much. There's so much music going on today that there's there's all sorts of different different um, uh, flute techniques, which we'll get into in a little bit as well. But the Baroque period, in some ways, was really the high point, one of the high points of the flute repertoire. Um, and maybe maybe before we continue, I'd love to play a few examples of this music from the Baroque period. And I'm going to have Reg play an excerpt from one of Bach's Brandenburg concertos. And this is the beginning of his fourth Brandenburg concerto, and this will be example one. Let's take a listen. That's beautiful. It does so something beautiful. to my brain. Can I can I add something to that, Michael? Um, yes. Most of the Baroque music was written for instruments that were made of wood, so it is incredibly pleasing to listen to um, uh, these um, concertos written. Or, uh, they were meant for wooden instruments, and the balance is very, very beautiful with a wooden instrument. It's a little uh, harsher when it's played with a met- metallic instrument, such as we play this 
the, nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, many, many musicians um, go out of their way to uh, acquire instruments that are made of the original materials or even a head joint yeah. and it changes the color and the tone of it yeah. um, so it's it, that's an interesting aspect of the baroque side and the key systems were less complicated than they currently are they were more simplistic so and as well these concertos michael were they also mostly um written for recorders Yes, you know what, Ariane, it's a great point. And, and, you know, when we talk about the history of the flute, we must talk a little bit about the recorder. Um, When we think of the recorder now, we think of young kids learning an instrument. Uh, But but you're absolutely right. In these box pieces and in many other pieces, Oftentimes, they were played on the Alan recorder. Alan McCollum is returning to Zoom to present Jig Fit. Oh, I don't know what happened. Just hang online. on. The Jig Fit workshop is Thursday evenings from 6 to 7 through May 20th. Michael, while the just Powwow hang on. Impact workshops run Tuesday <laughs> evenings from 6 to 7 through May 25th. Both workshops are free and open to people of all ages. Okay. That was an early break. Early <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so... Um, so... I, what I was thinking when I was listening, how mm-hmm. many how many notes can you play? Can you play the oct- the same as on a piano? Oh, how many octaves? Yeah. Um, so we have. That's a good question. We have basically about four octaves uh-huh. that we can that we can play. It's not necessarily pleasant in the very top octave. Yeah. Um, but yes, because we have low C. No, actually, I guess it's three octaves too yeah. middle too high. Yeah. So it's like three and a bit octaves that that are really doable. Um, but uh, we normally play in the higher register when it comes to orchestral music. And this excerpt that we just listened to is middle to high register, but in in Baroque days, they didn't go up to the highest notes that are currently used. Because I heard the violin and the the, um, flute playing the same notes. Yes. And Mm. and, in harmony. And I thought, well... How how far in the register can you go? Because you've only got so many buttons there. <laughs> it really does interest me. Well, the the the, the technique. Um, so you, you're correct. It's a very limited number of keys that we have in tone holes. Mm-hmm. But what we use um, to get that many notes is we use um, harmonics. Uh-huh. Um, so it's more complicated for other instruments because they have a break, but um, for the flute, we use the harmonic series to achieve that. So um, it's very important for us to understand where the harmonic lays. Now, luckily for the flute, it's mostly octave harmonics that we use, mm-hmm. but uh, we, we and to use those harmonics, we have to vary our speed of air. Yes. That's how we achieve that. Yeah, so. yeah. And and Michael was going to talk about that in a little while. Um, I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I got in there, Michael. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's, it's great because all these questions sort of come to mind as you listen to music and as Ariane talks about the flute and you kind of come up with these questions, you know, like mm-hmm. a great one, as you said, is what's the range of the flute? And certainly can go very, very high. I mean, this, this we know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, there's some lovely... Uh, orchestral selections for, um, you know, orchestral selections that the flute play in at a low register that really is very um, uh, mellow and mm-hmm. beautiful and warm and mm-hmm. full. Yeah. Um, and so, again, you have to just be careful that it's audible 
because the yes. lower the register is, the harder it is to hear in the context. But, uh, but getting back to the recorder, to Ariane's point that, yes, uh, the Brandenburg, and even today, if you were to see a, a performance of the Brandenburg concertos, you might very well see recorders instead of the flute. And the recorder really had its heyday uh, during this time. And, and in some in some people's minds, it would be actually preferable to the flute for its, its beautiful uh, a tone. But as the years went on, and as we leave the Baroque era and get into the classical and romantic periods in music, um, you know, the flute ascended while the recorder did not. And part of the reason, I think, is because the flute has so much more possibilities. Uh, it's, a, it's a stronger sounding instrument. It has uh, uh, more colors in it. Um, and, and, the, and the recorder is a little limited when it comes to that, mm-hmm. and its, its volume is not near as loud as the flute uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to orchestral playing. So it's an interesting thing, though, that the recorder, and in fact, for many years, uh, the flute is, is more specifically called the transverse flute, yes, uh, yep. as opposed to a recorder or a pan flute where you play vertically. Yeah. Now today we just call it the flute, but yep. really it, it, its specific name is the transverse flute because it's played, uh, you know, sort of uh, sideways, as it were, yes. uh, held that way. So, so that that's the, one one of the big differences. But um, I want to play now just before we leave the Baroque period entirely. There's a, there's another uh, wonderful piece that really shows off the agility. The great thing about the flute is that it can play so fast. Yes. And it's a wonderful to listen to. And so I'm going to just play a little bit of of a Vivaldi. Uh, oh, nice. concerto. He, yeah. he wrote no less than 18 flute concertos, and we're just going to hear now the beginning of Vivaldi's flute concerto number two, and this is the second example. the heck can you do that <laughs> with a lot of practice <laughs> oh boy oh boy i mean those are a lot of notes in a very short little span you gotta really practice right oh yes <laughs> now ariane i could even maybe follow up on that just ask you and every flautist is different and everybody every musician rehearses differently but you know, do you have a certain method that you use when you're practicing, let's say, a concerto like that or a sonata or even some orchestral works? Is there a certain, you know, way you would practice to, to, to get that? Or, or is it just a matter of, you know, practice, you know, as we all do, just play it again and, and you know, keep, 
No. Working at it. I, we, I think everybody has their own practice routine. I'm perhaps not as intellectually minded when I approach my practicing. I approach it uh, first from just kind of, I love sight reading through a piece with not listening to it first and then setting my tempos. And uh, if I can't play sections at certain tempos, I will rehearse those sections. You know, I call it um, I call it breaking up or segmenting the piece into the sections that are more challenging. And then it's so important to have those, to connect them all together. So I reward myself with playing through the piece <laughs> after <laughs> I've worked on the sections. And, you know, when something falls apart, then I take it back apart again and uh, try and work on it. And I am... Um, I'm very obsessed with working with my metronome, um, and oh. that could be a good. Th- it's a good thing for ensemble playing, maybe not so much for solo playing because you lose a bit of the musicality to mm-hmm. it. But uh, I do a lot of work with. I would say, I'm going to say I spend at least. 65 to 75 percent of my practice time each day with my metronome so and i i don't launch into a piece right away i every day i spend at least an hour and a half warming up first Mm -hmm. and do all my studies and my i do all my scales every day um and that kind of gets your fingers in the mood (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and then from there then you start working on the things that you enjoy, but um, everything takes a lot of time, and it's very meticulous and very time-consuming to practice well. Yeah, and sometimes even if you practice as much as you can, you don't quite achieve the result you would like. And yeah. it's just the way it goes. Are you a perfectionist? <laughs> I, I, I'm going to say that probably 100 percent of musicians are, <laughs> and, and must be. We must be. It's it's a necessity. Oh yes, yeah. Um, we're we're kind of like athletes in that sense, you know, and uh, we have to, uh, the the most important part of, of being a musician really is the focus. Yes. To be able to sit through um, and count properly and listen as well as to others, as well as yourself. It's a huge, it's very draining. A, a concert that lasts an hour and a half. Oh, dear. Is, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, who thinks of this? Do you have to do breath work? Um, it, that's kind of in my practicing, yeah. um, and I I do incorporate it into my practicing. But that's one thing about music um, that I think is so appealing to so many people is the fact that it involves the breath, yeah, and how you know it's a vital part of our lives, yes. breathing. Yeah. And it's been shown many many studies have, have proven that the breathing part is actually a calming effect, and yes. Because it's it is rhythmical and yes. it it calms our body down, it calms our brain down. It's it's actually very uh, miraculous in some ways. So yeah, and it does something to our brain as well. Absolutely, I know that. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. a lot of classical music is constructed in a way that our brain gets has expectations, and when when those expectations are met with our cadences and our how the phrase works, then our brain is satisfied, which is why we love music. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You're always striving, and you and you're it's never perfect. No, but that's the joy of it. I mean, it's oh, it, and it doesn't have to be perfect. I mean, of course, we're striving for that. Yeah. But it's it's a it's an emotional expression. Yes. It, what's most important is that it's a personal expression of what you feel the composer is saying, and your and your job is to try to communicate that. Yes. And of course, you know, you need to have the right pitch at the right time and the right rhythm. I mean, this is true, but 
you know, this is what we're always striving for. Yeah. Um, so that's really something. Uh, maybe, uh, Sharon, we'll take another quick break, and then I want to talk a little bit about the flute as, it, as it, we leave the Baroque period, get into the classical, the Romantic period, and how the flute had changed from just an instrument with holes that you cover with your fingers to what we've been kind of alluding to, the big the key system, that uh, yes. a very complicated key system that a modern flute has. Well, we'll get into a boat and go down the river in Vienna and sing da-da-da-da-da-da. Uh, we'll take a short break and we'll be back with Michael and, and uh, the flute. The Alzheimer's Society of BC is continuing their series of online webinars. Everyone is encouraged to learn more about dementia and its stark impact on Canadians through their website, alzbc.org. While there, you can also register for their free webinars or watch previous presentations. The next webinar is Research Ready, Cardiovascular Risk Factors and Dementia, tomorrow from 2 to 3. The Alzheimer's Society of BC, bringing you support and information about dementia at alzbc.org. Vancouver's longest-running short filmmaking program has six films in production to premiere at the 22nd annual Crazy Eights Gala next month. A variety of movie genres, from cultural drama to dark comedy, are being covered, with each film being produced over the course of eight crazy days. The completed films will be shown on May 1st during the first-ever online Crazy Eights Gala. Full details are available at crazyeights.film. The Crazy Eight 2021 Gala Screening, May 1st, online. The YMCA of Northern BC is once again celebrating YMCA Healthy Kids Day, presented by Canadian Tire. Due to COVID, this year participants will receive a take-home event through a free special edition YMCA Healthy Kids magazine, which includes free passes, recipes, mindfulness activities, physical literacy assessment, and Get Active Bingo with a chance to win a Nintendo Switch. The magazine will be available on May 2nd from 11 to 2. The YMCA Healthy Kids Day, Sunday, May 2nd, from your YMCA of Northern BC. Forecast from Environment Canada. Today, sunny, wind from the north at 20 kilometers and a high of 16. Tonight, clear, north winds becoming light this evening with a low of minus 1. And Wednesday, sunny, a mix of sun and cloud in the afternoon with wind from the west at 20 and a high of 13. You're listening to Senior Moments on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Brought to you in part by Riverbend Seniors Community. When you live at Riverbend, you will feel right at home. Are we okay, Michael? We've been yes. having problems with things, but we're here we are again. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I, um, I, so let's talk a little bit in the time we have um, about more of the modern flute. So we have listened and, and, and talked about the Baroque flute and, and, the, and flutes from even farther back. But during the classical period, so this is Mozart and Beethoven, the flute was really undergoing constant transformation. And, and the flute makers were experimenting at this time with its designs in order to improve the flute sound and the structure. 
And so in the early 19th century, the makers experimented with new materials of, of the flute. We talked a little bit, Ariane was talking about music from the Baroque, uh, uh, often played on a wooden flute, which gives it a kind of mellow tone. Mm -hmm. But uh, makers in the 19th century were starting to, to construct flutes made out of metal, and really different kinds of metal, which, again, we'll touch on in just a little bit. But these are experiments that, that makers were doing, uh, different material for the flute, and, and introducing this idea of a key system. Mm -hmm. Now, the keys on a flute, they're really small, round, uh, padded metal covers yes. that are mounted on metal rods, and they allow the pads to either cover or uncover the holes when different combinations of fingerings are made. Now, you can't speak about the history of the flute or about the key systems without mentioning the name Theodore Boom. <laughs> he is uh, really revolutionary when it comes to the development of the flute. And now we're talking about 1830s, 1840s. Mm -hmm. And what Boom did is he literally invented the modern flute. And his key system that he designed is basically still in use today. So what did he do? He changed the design of the flute so that it was capable of producing a bigger sound while also retaining good intonation that we've been talking about and his key mechanism uh, perfected the use of rods and, and axles to transfer the movement of the player's fingers to distant tone holes. Uh -huh. So in other words, he could arrange the tone holes on his flute according to acoustic criteria as opposed to ease of fingering. Okay. Because what the key system allows you to do is to reach holes you couldn't reach just with your hand. Mm -hmm. And if you want to make the flute, um, you know, uh, accessible just with your fingers, then you're going to lose a little bit on intonation, on power, on, on uh, beauty of tone. Mm -hmm. So what the key system does is allows you to control uh, the covering and uncovering of holes without actually having your finger on top of them. Um, it, it allows you to... Uh, uh, to, to um, you know, uh, open and close a different point uh, on the flute uh, oh, okay. without your fingers needing to be right all over top. Right. Uh, and this oh, was a I this see. this yeah. was a crucial development that finally allowed the flute to really come into its own when it comes to uh, 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 quality of tone and strength of tone as well. Um, and again, Ariane, if you want to add any, anything to that you know, sort of the key system and, and how it works on, on your flute. Well, I think you've given a great description of it. Um, and there the were further um, experimentation with the materials of the flutes. For example, um, I, I went to a, a museum in Boston and I got to see, uh, um, oh, it was made out of glass. So there was a little bit of a, a time frame there where that was the in kind of thing to, was to have a now you can see there's all sorts of you know potential complications with a, yeah. a glass flute yeah um, but all the different alloys of, of materials that are used now I mean it's the percentages have been um, perfected I was just reading about one particular brand who was having who made um, 
gold head joints, but they didn't make the um, the alloy very well, and it was brittle. And so these head joints were were essentially crumbling, and that's actually oh, quite recent. So all wow. of these that was within the last about twenty five years. So all of these um, instruments are still being experimented with, and each flute maker makes their own little particular change. Sometimes it's in the shape of a key, a slight location difference of a uh-huh. tone hole. Um, and uh, they put their little, their 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 kind of specialness uh, for the so all the big names of and the, the the interesting thing about the different flute makers are most of them are actually located in the United States uh-huh. in um, in um, Boston in Massachusetts. Uh, oh, for let's say yeah, yeah, because they originated in. What, China or in Germany? That's where they found the first one, I guess. But I'm, I'm talking about the traditional flute as yeah. we know it now. Um, that's where the most of the makers are, are sourced so there. From Europe yeah. to America. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And then we have, uh, makers that also specialize in portions of the flute. Oh. So for example, the head joint. Yeah. A lot of players will have their body. Yeah. And then they will find the head joint that best suits their, the color that they want, their facial structure, and they make very fine changes in each head joint. Uh-huh. And even the materials of each part is different. And so a lot of people experiment with that. Yep. That's very and, and, interesting. And, and so there's flutes that are made out of pure silver. Wow. There's flutes that are silver plated, so with, with nickel, nickel. Uh, underneath. Yeah. There's flutes made of, of 12, 14, 18 karat gold. Yeah. There's platinum flutes mm-hmm. uh, oh. and wooden flutes. <laughs> You'd well. have to be a... Um, one of those weightlifters to hold the gold one. <laughs> they, yes, they are, they are very heavy. Gold flutes and flutes are not, I don't think, are they, I don't think there's any that are pure platinum, but the ones that have the platinum um, portion of it in it are extraordinarily heavy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine. Yeah. 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 And I, I, I remember working with a, a flautist, uh, one of my uh, orchestras that I used to be music director of had a principal flautist who played a wooden flute. Oh. Yeah. And, and, and these days, you know, uh, Grenadilla is sometimes the material that make a, a hard wood, a heavy wood, oh, uh, yes. but a wooden flute nonetheless. And he really enjoyed the sound that it that it made. Ariana uh, so has one. Even, yeah, she know, has one in her hand, Michael. So what, yeah. what? What I have is my is my piccolo, which it is made of Grenadilla, mm-hmm. and um, it it it's uh, most people play a wooden piccolo or a piccolo that's made out of it's kind of like a plastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember what the name of it is, but no one ever plays this. Well, there are silver piccolos as well, but it's not as common. Those are used mostly because of their color. They're used for bands. Yeah. In, in um, like, the, the Irish United bands. St- yeah. Well, the United States have great big um, bands. Oh, yes, they do. Marching the, bands. Yes, yeah. Yeah, but mine is made of wood. Uh-huh. Um, and it has a different sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's... It, it has the danger of cracking. Oh. So this is one of these instruments they have to be careful about the temperature because yeah. the air moves through this instrument so quickly that it heats up very fast and it can also cool down very fast and mm-hmm. then you're at risk of having a, a crack happen. Yeah. So you notice um, I'm showing here that my piccolo is exactly pretty much half the size right. of my flute. Yes. So it plays exactly an octave higher. Um, so 
it's a very, very high instrument. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and most people, it's a love or hate relationship with a piccolo, I would say. <laughs> Certainly the violinist that sits beside the piccolo has more of a hate relationship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stop that noise. <laughs> oh, they, they have to wear ear protection. They, they make, they're very discreet about it, but they do wear ear protection. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So it's a piercing instrument. <laughs> And and I think that's a lot of uh, Irish music has picked. No, they well, have the yes, whistle. It's, it's a yes. fife, yeah, yeah, fife, yes, yeah, yeah pan flute, yeah. fife, yes. Yeah. That's what they use. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the the piccolo really its history is is the fife. If you go yes. back even to the 1300s, yes. it was used. It was really a military instrument. Yeah. And oh. you know, you think about the fife and drum and, yes. and how the right. the fife would play marching tunes or or maybe it would signal the infantry regiment. So it really had a uh, a specific role, and that instrument really began to evolve into what we know as the orchestral uh, piccolo. And and did, did they use that to pipe uh, people on the ships? Was it a piccolo, or was that a special instrument to win? No, I don't think it was a piccolo, no. uh, but, but I think I know They used whistles. They yeah. used whistles. And That's whist right. Yes, yeah. and whistle patterns for different communications. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. And, uh, um, and you know, we, we, we talked a little bit about, uh, as well, you know, where the flute uh, nowadays, and I didn't know this, really, a lot of the great flute makers are in the States. Yeah. And we talked about where uh, great fl flutes were made in history. And certainly in the 19th century, France was the home of the best flautists and, and the best flute makers. And, and the French composers of this time really took advantage of the of the mastery of the flute from their country. And, and I, I want to play now uh, something, in fact, that you will you could hear Ariane play uh, later uh, next month. Um, it's a very famous orchestral piece, which has a, the most famous opening for flute ever written. It's called The Prelude to La Prémisie d'une Fond by Debussy. Oh, yes. And I just want to have it play just the very opening, and I'm sure you'll recognize it when yeah, you hear it. I already know it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Makes me cry. <laughs> <laughs> Moments is a co-production of 93.1 CFISF. We said, what the...
<laughs> We're back on. That, that, it's beautiful, isn't it? That, well, and, and again, yeah. uh, if you want to hear Ariane perform that uh, piece with the PGSO, we're going to be playing an arrangement of it, as a matter of fact. It's a smaller arrangement because of our COVID restrictions, um, yeah. but a beautiful arrangement nonetheless. Is, is it, I believe it's the uh, original, it was written originally for a small ensemble, wasn't it? Was it written for... Um, yeah, I, I think it was actually for, for for a fairly large group, although Schoenberg, for example, arranged it for a small ensemble, and we're doing oh. an arrangement by a, a, a British arranger that, that does some wonderful work. It, it's, it's such a beautiful piece, and, and you know we're looking forward to, to performing that as well. Um, Ariane, I want, and we have about five minutes left, and, and you know we've talked a lot about tuning and, and, and lots of different things. Um, maybe a personal question, sort of a, what made you decide to play the flute? You know, was that your first instrument? Was that something that sort of you were drawn to from an early age? Um, a good question. Um, it was uh, I was forced to to take violin lessons when I was young, because my parents truly believed how uh, they believed it was an important part of education and in educating a child. My parents were very very poor. It, it took an enormous amount of effort to uh, provide that for us. Um, I did not seem to connect very well with it the way you know I advanced in normal fashion, and uh, one day we were listening to CBC. Uh, we didn't have a TV, and uh, we hung around the table every night after dinner, and my dad cranked up the CBC show, and <laughs> on came this beautiful orchestral piece, and I can't tell you what it was, but I heard this piece, and I said, Dad, that's what I want to play. Mm-hmm. And um, he said, oh, daughter, that is a piccolo. <laughs> <laughs> and so I made it my goal to play the piccolo, but... Um, I, my parents first thought, hmm, we can bank on this. You're going to have to take two years of piano first. Oh. So I took my two years of piano and got a really great foundation of that. And um, then finally in grade nine, I was allowed to try out for the piccolo, which I was so disappointed <laughs> to be told that you can't learn the piccolo off the bat. First, you have to learn the flute. But I immediately took to it, and I was years behind others who had started. It took, So they gave me a band book and they said go to the back room when you finish the band book come out you'll be ready to join us so I (laughs) was trained early on to play by myself and to work really hard by myself so um, it really lend itself well to my my future in in music so yeah and I want to ask you do you cry when you play that because that made me cry I cry when I listen to music, 100%. I absolutely do. Sometimes I will be sitting in a concert and I can't control it. Yeah. It's different when you're playing. You have to control it. You absolutely have to. But depending on the situation, um, I have cried at funerals while singing and playing. Yeah. 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 But it makes it very hard to play. (laughs) Because that just hit me in in my breadbasket and it made me feel like crying and yeah. I actually had to hold myself yeah. and so Michael I I mean that's an amazing influence on on a human yeah. yes exactly well and, and as a performer Ariane is, is exactly right you you feel it you want your listener to feel it yeah. and so you have this half half of you are in mm-hmm. one foot in this emotional uh, connection and that you're striving for, and the other, your other foot's in this very almost clinical yes, approach yes. where you have your technique has to be right. You've worked on this passage, so you're 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 focused on it. So it's really this 
two ways of, of approaching or, or uh, simultaneously uh, when it comes to performing music. Oh. I, I'm, I'm going to add that I personally find that my best performances are when I have had a recent um, emotional experience. Yeah. Whether I'm sad, angry, happy, it does impact the way I play. Um, absolutely. <laughs> That's interesting, yeah. And so that that was beautiful. And so we're coming to the um, pretty close to the end, yeah. Michael. Yeah. And um, well, I wanted uh, uh, before we leave. I I, if, if, I know Sharon, you love that example. I think yeah. We're playing that in May. And the other thing that for flute lovers out there, the the Kinder concert on May fifteenth. Right. Uh, we're playing Peter and the Wolf. Yeah. And here's another great example of an idiomatic passage written by Prokofiev for the flute yep. that represents the bird, as we all know. Yeah. So it's another chance to really enjoy um, all the things that the flute can, can offer. The other thing I first thought of when we talked about uh, the flute was the Pied Piper. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and Pied means, I thought it meant something different, but it means ignoring it that's ah. what it means yeah and 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 so you know whoever wrote that story and used the flute and called it the magic flute We're but the it. oh we have to go oh michael ariane thank you so much thank i've you. enjoyed thank this you, <laughs> thank you very much and we'll set up for may and uh, yeah okay take care stay healthy yep thank you bye-bye bye Senior Moments is a co-production of 93.1 CFIS-FM.